And shout it out, I am the well. I want you to go with me real quickly over to Acts chapter 1. I just want to kind of uh, refresh your thinking on some of these uh, foundational principles and then talk to you tonight. Uh, how to get rid of the shame in your life so you can be what God wants you to be. Acts chapter 1, verse 7, he said to them, Jesus, of course, is speaking, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and on Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What comes on you when the Holy Spirit comes on you? Power. Dunamis, miracle working power, explosive power. And when the power of God goes off, it displaces everything that Jesus died to deliver you from. Amen. When... Uh, it goes off when the power of God manifests. It takes uh, sin out of the way and leaves righteousness behind. Amen. Blows sickness and disease away and leaves health behind. Amen. Takes out lack and, and poverty and brings in abundance and prosperity and God's provision for your life. Takes out every kind of bondage and produces liberty and freedom in you and me. So this is not just some uh, generic concept of power. It's power on a mission. Amen. And it does tangible things in us and tangible things through us. And so we talked a lot about what God will do for us and in our lives. Right now, he's got us focusing on what he wants to do through our lives. But no matter how powerful the thing is on the inside of us and how many know it's powerful, if it's stopped up, it's not going to produce anything. And there are a lot of believers that have wells, and they're born again, sure enough. Say it with me, I'm born again. And they're spirit-filled. Say, I'm spirit-filled. But if you're stopped up, it's not going to do any good. So what God is wanting you to do is you learn these principles is make sure that you guard your heart and guard your life so that you're not stopping the flow of something that God has put there for the benefit of others. And, uh, you know, we talk a lot about the nature of that well, but certainly the anointing is, is one concept that you can wrap your brain around. Go to Luke chapter 4. This is how Jesus uh, described it by quoting from the uh, 61st chapter of Isaiah. So I'm in Luke 4, verse 18. Jesus finds the place where it's written. And I know it's important for you to know where it's written. Yes. To be proficient in the use and the skill with your sword. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. So what happens when the Spirit of the Lord is on you? You're anointed. In other words, you are empowered with the Spirit of God to preach good news to the poor. What kind of news? Good news. Where are you going to find good news at? You're going to find it in the Word. Are you going to find it on CNN, Fox News, MSNBC? No. Where are you going to find it? You're going to find it in the Word of God. And if you're tired of all the bad news, I suggest that you spend more time in the good news. Because that's not only what we're supposed to take in as a diet, that's what we're supposed to be putting out there is good news. I don't understand people talking about how bad God is, you know, and how he just wants to rough you up and run you over and woe is me and how horrible life is and just, a, you know, another, you know, trip around the sun and it'll be worse this year than it was last year. I don't understand that because, first of all, your God is good. And second of all, Jesus came anointed to preach good news. Let me put this to you plainly. No one in the body of Christ right now is anointed to preach bad news. No one. That is not an assignment of the Christ. So anyone doing this right now, I don't care what they call themselves, prophet of doom or whatever, they try to walk in the office of an, of an office that doesn't even exist anymore. 
There is no office of the Old Testament anymore. Gloom, doom, despair, and agony on me. The office today for all the ministries and all the ministry gifts is a ministry that preaches good news. So if it's not good news, it's not being inspired by the Holy Ghost. So be careful who you let get into your ear, because if you're not careful, you'll hear somebody who spends all their time reading Ezekiel and Jeremiah and the old prophets, and then saying, you know what, that's what this world needs right now, is, is a little bit of a, ten, you know, a two by four upside the head, and thinking that they're doing God a favor. Look at somebody and say, it's good news. Isn't that what he said when the angels came and brought good news of? Great joy, or good news that precipitates great joy. To preach the good news to the poor, to send me uh, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Everybody say, me too. too. Say, this is a me too uh, movement I can get behind. When it says preaching good news, me too. When it says proclaiming freedom for the prisoners, everybody say it, me too. When it says that you're, you're going to minister, recover your sight for the blind, say me too. me too. To release the oppressed, say me too. me too. Say preach the Lord's favor, me too. me too. So the interesting thing about the anointing and what you have to know about it is the anointing gives us the enablement to actually to, to proclaim or deliver the good news. But not just in the uh, declaration, but also in the manifestation. Do you see this? We have the power to proclaim his message, his heart, but also the power to see that thing come to pass. And Jesus didn't come just preaching. That's what set him apart. He would preach, and then things would manifest. And he said the same thing would happen for us. These signs shall follow them that what? That believe. We understand that he said he would work with us, and he would confirm his word with what? Signs following. So Jesus is still preaching, and he's still doing miracles through the agency of the Holy Spirit that, of course, is in you and on you right now. So when we talk about the anointing, we're talking about the same thing. That's what is actually, you know, in us and upon us. And the good news for you and for me, it's not according to the measure of Moses or Joshua or Elijah or Elisha, who had a temporary anointing and a partial anointing. Wrap your mind around that. Look what they did with temporary and partial. What's on the inside of you is not temporary, and it's not partial. Remember that old chorus you used to sing, There's a River of Life? Doing what? Flowing out of me. What does it do? Opens prisons, doors. Boy, it sounds an awful lot like Luke 4. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Spring up, oh well. It was never designed to sit there. It doesn't say bubble inside you. That's not the song. It's what? It's spring up, and it comes out of you. And that's what's actually upon you, this permanent and powerful thing that is, you know, reflecting what Jesus actually had. And how many know the Bible says that Jesus had the spirit without measure? You know what the body of Christ has? Spirit without measure. If the head has it without measure, then the body has it without measure. Come on, folks might say we have it without measure. That's not the issue. The issue is not that we're not born again, it's not that we don't love God, not that we're not baptized in the Holy Ghost, not that we don't have it. We're just not releasing it. It is far beyond just a sleeping giant. 
Have y'all seen those, those old movies? I'm really big into them, but the Transformer movies, the big, huge robots. You're like that except about a 1,000 times that size. The power that's available to you. But on the inside, too many of us are little matchboxes. Little micro-machines with nothing. The devil has spent a lot of time convincing the people of God they're nothing or using the agency of some of the, the tactics we're going to talk about to try to suppress that which is on the inside of you. But, you know, God is uh, up to something. He's on a mission, and he's going, to, he's going to tap your well whether the devil likes it or not. Amen. Say it with me. I'm flowing. Ephesians 1.19 tells us that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells where? I, I want you to put your eyes back on this. It's a scripture that you should, you should mark up in your Bible. You should memorize this. For all those of you that the devil tells you'll never do anything, you'll never be anything for God. And I, I love this, what it says in verse 18 in chapter 1, and we'll move over to the, uh, chapter 3 in just a moment. But I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. See, this is what I said at the very beginning of this series. It's about revelation. You have to have revelation that you're the well. You have to understand the empowerment, everything that's been put on the inside of you, the Spirit of God, the, the gifts of God, the, the anointing of God, the favor, the blessing of God, the sevenfold Spirit. It's all in there what? Right now. But that comes to you by revelation. So I can say this to you a thousand times, but until you get quickened by the Spirit of God to the reality of this, it's not going to make much sense to you. And he's talking about this spirit, the same spirit of wisdom and revelation he mentions in other places, but is incomparably great power to us who believe that power. Watch how he compares this. That power, where is it at? It's in you if you're a believer. Say, I'm a believer. That power, like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. What did it? Resurrection power. Where is that power now? Where is it? It's in you right now. Any measure of revelation of that right now, and you'd be doing laps around the church. But right now, it's just still a mental concept. It's a scripture in search of someone having revelation of that scripture. Certainly, the resurrection power of Christ is in me. That lifeless body laid in that tomb, and literally that power literally went in him and upon him and raised him up, and he's now seated at the right hand of the Father. He is in a completely glorified state, an authoritative state, and that was done by the same spirit that's on the inside of you. The spirit that was given to you was given to you for a whole lot more than Shandai. A spiritual experience, a marker. What's inside of you, is, it's, it's even hard to articulate what's on the inside of you. Amen. And by the time we're done with this series, we're going we're gonna to show you spiritually what to do to bypass that brain that's suppressing the power of God that's in you. 
because you've been trained to live, to think, to operate naturally. Our first reaction to every situation is life, in life is a natural reaction. To get that well, to really flow like it's supposed to, our first reaction has to be a spiritual reaction from a renewed mind. And because the, the carnality in all of us has such a head start, it's going to take some doing. Now you'll know it uh, when it begins to happen in your life, because of course you'll see results, you'll see fruit from this. But you'll also have a lot of liberty and, and freedom in the things of God. Uh, your mind will start to agree with your spirit rather than your spirit trying to agree with your mind all the time. Amen. Say with me, resurrection power is in me now. So we talked about things that are, that are capping that or hindering that. And one, of course, is selfishness. When we're so focused on ourselves day to day, we don't have time to release what's on the inside of us. And the devil will keep you focused on whatever the latest fire is in your life, whatever the latest problem is, so that day to day you're not thinking about what people need in terms of the power of God or the miracles of God. It's, it's how do I fix this or how do I deal with that? And I'll tell you, he'll keep it stirred up as long as you keep responding to it. You need to stay on target, focus on what God's called you to do, and don't let all that stuff sidetrack you in terms of what you're assigned to do. Just let the devil be on notice. No, I'm not going to be selfish. Look at somebody and say it. I'm not going to live a selfish life. A lot of Christians are very selfish. When it stops being about them, they're no longer interested. Amen? If this church doesn't serve the kind of donut I want, I'm not interested. If the, if the seats aren't as soft as I want, I'm not interested. If a temperature is too hot or too cold, I'm not interested. Can, can, you see, can you see where a Christian eaten up with donuts and seats and temperature, not a candidate to flow in the power of the Holy Ghost? Now that's base, but I tell you, a lot of people live that way. That's everything is about them. Second thing is strife. It shouldn't come as a surprise to you that if you get offended, if you walk in strife, you'll cap that power. It will never flow out of you. And that's why every day of your life, the devil's going to try to get you offended. And Charlie, we talked about this the other day, didn't we, about the, the power of seeing humanity in people if we're not careful. And uh, look at somebody right now and say, I've seen your humanity. I've chosen to love you anyway. Come on, tell somebody, I see your humanity, and I've chosen to love you anyway. I'm telling you, that is not a skill set. It is a decision. You're going to see it. You're going to see the good, the bad, and the ugly in everyone. And the closer you are with them in terms of family, you're going to see more of it. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, we shouldn't be growing. We should be growing. But if you look at humanity, and the first thing you want to do is get offended because you spotted somebody's humanity... For example, just because I may see something in somebody does not give me the right to go around disrespecting them and dissing them. I'm not the Lord. But what you don't realize is the devil has an agenda for all this. He'll even point out somebody's humanity for you. Are you hearing? He'll talk to you. Can you believe that person? <laughs> and you'll start agreeing with the devil. You're having a 30-minute conversation. You're talking more to the devil than to the Lord. You don't even realize it. And wondering why the God's power is not flowing in your life. You just have to choose to see it and not get offended by what's going on around you. And there's a lot of places out there right now um, that, that uh, are offensive. A lot of things are being done and said out there that are offensive. And you have to train yourself not to let yourself get into the flesh 
and then yield this because you'll be shut down. Now, you'll want to flow in the power. You'll know the power of God is there, but you won't be able to because strife will shut it down. The Bible says that faith works by, operates by, is energized by love. Say it with me. My faith works by, is equipped by, is energized by love. No love, it doesn't work. Amen. So what you have to do is choose. Okay, I see something, but I'm going to choose to walk in love anyway. And, uh, and it not only shuts down the power of God in terms of being the river and being the flow to other people, it shuts down every good thing God has for people. You find somebody who got offended and watch them in 20 years, I promise you this, they'll be in the same place mentally, physically, emotionally, financially, everything in their life is the same 20 years from now. Every good thing of God will shut down inside of them. Amen. It's just not worth it. Look at somebody and say, I love you. But you're not worth that. And I tell you what, this world deserves more than that. Jesus died for it. You and I are the candidates that can flow in this power um, because of what's happened to us, the new birth, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. God help us to at least be the people that are available to do this. You would say it like this. We're, we're the candidates for this. People who aren't born again, aren't spirit-filled, they're not even candidates for this. Out of the candidates, you know, who's actually focused enough and, and centered enough to think, you know, what's more important is not somebody liking me or talking nice about me. It's not about that. It's about, you know, this person may have a need and I need to be on the ready. You know, you're going to see this. There are people in this room that are going to see this. You're going to see creative miracles right in front of your eyes. And you're going to stop right then and there. And you're going to thank God that you chose not to take that offense that week. Or meditate on what they did to you five years, ten years, twenty years ago. Because what you're going to get to see and the impact on people's lives is going to be far more valuable than anything that's ever happened to you. Everybody has stories. You and I just don't want to be the ones that are responsible for the offenses. Does that make sense? We just need to keep our hearts clean as much as lies with us. That's right, live at peace with all men. I think about Jesus and what he said about causing one of these little ones to stumble or to sin. In other words, influencing them to sin. Could you imagine being the person that influences others to get into strife? Jesus said it would be better for them to have a millstone tied around their neck and dropped into the sea. Does anybody have any idea how much a millstone weighs? The big ones that are about 7 foot in diameter, 3,500 pounds. Look at somebody and saying you're not coming up ever again. Jesus said that? Jesus said that. Now we say, yeah, that's right. He doesn't want our children being offended or hurt. He's talking about any of his children. So do not be the one that influences or entices somebody out of their destiny and into a place where they're actually ruined. So say it with me. Selfishness and strife. It shouldn't be a surprise that sin is a cap in your life. Any unconfessed sin, confess it. Anything that you're doing you shouldn't be doing, knock it off. Anything that you're saying you shouldn't be saying, stop it. Repent of it. Anything you're supposed to be doing that you're not doing, get on with it in Jesus' name. Look at somebody and say, get on with it. It's time for those that have the revelation. You see, revelation is great, but if you don't get this stuff out of your life, it's not going to matter if you have the revelation or not. It will be suspended by the things that we're allowing in our lives. In other words, 
being so consumed either with what we have done wrong in sin or what we're actively involved in now, it's going to cap the good thing that God has on the inside of us. 1 Corinthians 6.18, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. It's very difficult to focus on the miracle working power when you every day are taking a hammer to your own body. Amen. A baseball bat to the flesh that God gave you. People don't realize this, but, but things that are done in youth, you know, we're just sowing our oats, it doesn't matter, you know. What they don't realize is years later, things are manifested in their body because of their behavior when they're young. There's a reason why God tells us to live a certain way. Say, well, it just seems to be fine in the moment. It may seem fine in the moment, but the harvest hasn't come yet. Do you see this? And you say, if that's been part of your heritage, you, you repent, you believe God for crop failure. But understand, if you continue to go down the road that's damaging your own body by your behavior, you're not going to have the kind of confidence and the, and the victory in your heart to be used of God. When every day you're either walking around in condemnation because of sin or you're walking around beating yourself up literally because of what you're allowing, you're not a candidate. Amen. There comes a time when you're no longer the, the sinner needing to get saved. Can I have a better amen than that? You're walking with God. The other side of this is when you've been set free and the devil pounds on the condemnation in your life and heart day after day, month after month, year after year. You could be sitting here tonight, you know, because of some sin from a long time ago and the devil keeps it active and in front of you. As long as that's the case, it's going to be hard for you to flow in the things of God. You're so eaten up with condemnation, you couldn't pick up the signal or the urging of the Holy Ghost if your life depended on it. And sometimes your life might depend on it. Or the lives of other people might depend on it. So what do you do? You trade in that sin mentality for what? The righteousness mentality of God. Say it with me. He took my sin and he gave me his righteousness. Come on, say it with joy. He took my sin and he gave me his righteousness. What do you do with that sin? Nailed it to the cross. Amen. So when you do something and you repent of it, it's gone. You're right with God. Stay right with God. Stay confident in the things of God in these areas. Second, uh, 1 Peter 2.11 says this, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Listen to this. Well, they do. They wage war against your soul. Now, here we have somebody born again, spirit-filled, wants to be used for God. How many of you believe that everything we've been telling you is on the inside of you? How many of you believe that the miracle-working power of God, resurrection power of God is on the inside of you? So here's that person ready to be used of God, and at the same time, every day, they're doing things at war against their soul. You and I know what happens when war breaks out. Things are destroyed. Buildings are blown up. Bridges are destroyed. Lives are destroyed. Body parts are blown off. Are we getting the message tonight? They war against your very souls. In other words, when we are walking around disregarding the plain teachings of Scripture, we actually are doing things that war not only against our body, according to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians, it wars against our soul. Now, what is your soul? Your mind, your will, and your emotion. Listen carefully tonight and understand that a Christian who sins is doing damage to their soul. As well as their body. 
A lot of Christians should get a revelation of how, how much their, their, their wounds are being self-inflicted. It's not, he forgave me, no big deal, move on down the road. If you're, you're continuing to engage in things that contradict the scripture, you're doing damage to your body and you're doing da damage to your soul. Now, the one thing you're not doing damage to is the spirit. You don't have any control over that. Because of the new birth, you're born again. That perfect, that spirit man is perfect. There's nothing you can do or not do that's going to change the nature of what? Now, you can change the destination of that spirit. Moving right along. Say it with me. I know where I'm going. When you, when you do this, you war against your own soul. What a revelation Peter had. Watch this. You're damaging your mind. Look at somebody and tell them brain damage. Sin causes brain damage. You say, I don't understand these people out there in this world living like that and the crazy things they're doing. And it doesn't make any sense what they're doing. They have brain damage. When you sin, you cause damage to your mental faculties. Amen. How many like your mind to work better? Sin less. But it's not just the mind. It's the will. People who are double-minded, people who can't make up their mind. And I'm not talking about the war that breaks out after Sunday service. We're going here, we're going there, the rest of the I'm not talking about that war. I'm talking about internally, you can't make a decision, you are flaky, you're inconsistent. What's happened? Your will is being damaged by sin. There's a war that broke out, and it's not the devil doing it. You're the one with a gun in your hand. It's not just your mind. It's not just your will. It's also your emotions. The emotion-ruled Christian is a self-inflicted wound. That's why we can't preach it out of you. When you live in clean, you can say, you know what? I don't have to be run by what I feel. What have you been taught in this church? Your emotions are to experience life, not to run your life. But when you sin, you damage the God-given, restorative ability of the emotions to experience life without running your life by what you feel. When you have done damage to your soul, you have no choice but to run your life by your emotions. The greatest, the most authoritative voice in your head, in your life right now, is what your emotions feel. And the damage that we do when we act on our emotions, it's impossible to even calculate. Turn to somebody and say brain damage, will damage, emotional damage. See, the world doesn't want to hear this. And from the reaction I'm getting tonight, much of the church doesn't want to hear it either. How can we stop from damaging our bodies and damaging our minds and damaging our wills and damaging our emotions? We can read this book. We can go to that seminar. We can take this concoction, this, this, this latest gumi that's on sale on Facebook. Stop setting. This message has been brought to you by Hope Harbor Church and Pastor Art Hines, and we approve of this message. Look at some, I say, just stop setting. It'll have an amazing effect on your body, your mind, your will, <laughs> and your emotions. 
Well, let's, let's go deep, Pastor. That's just kind of a surface thing. Oh, no, it's not. It's stopping a lot of people from flowing in the power of God. Either they're in sin or they've been out of sin for a long time and they're under condemnation, but sin is still a factor. We need to get free and stay free. We need to be clean and what? Stay clean so we can have a position of confidence and boldness rather than defeat. Because somebody say brain damage. Will damage, emotional damage. Amen. A lot of people are just up and down, in and out. They're never able to accomplish what God wants, and it had nothing to do with God. And God wants us to know through the revelation that Peter gives us and Paul, Peter and Paul, hallelujah. <laughs> Two very intelligent individuals, amen. Two very different individuals. Same, basically the same thing. It's not that God is a killjoy or he, he's, he wants you to go to hell or that you're even going to hell. You're a child of God, no longer forced to sin, but you're a child of God from time to time. You choose to sin. Are you here? Before you got born again, you had no choice. You were going to sin and sin a lot. Most of the day. Most of the night as well. When you got born again, the force of sin was replaced by the force of righteousness, and it's pushing you to do right. But you still have the ability to choose to sin as a Christian. And when you do, it causes damage to your body, to your mind, to your will, to your emotions. And leadership in church should tell you that. If something is causing you and undermining you, you need to be told that, not in a way that's, that's condemning or we're sending people to hell, that's not the issue. Yeah, people can go to hell. There's no question about that. What it does in the believer's life who is right with God but yields to this stuff, what happens is they become very ineffective all the days of their life. What a shame. Because that one that's ineffective still has resurrection power in them. It's just been kept. Look at somebody and say, let's just take the lid off. Amen. It's just... Take the lid off. Say it would be selfishness, strife, and sin. The one I want to spend a little bit of time with you tonight is called shame. And shame is when we're so concerned with what people think of us or people conscious, it strips us of God consciousness. Um, you know, could be things we've done or how people view us. Some people aren't in sin or haven't done anything, but they still walk around in shame because they're always cognizant of what everybody else thinks about them. Can I tell you something? What really matters, and here's the heart of this message, what really matters is what God thinks about you. That's how you release the force that's on the inside of you. Let's talk about this tonight and get this down to your spirit. Shame is a well stopper. Plain and simple. It could be shame because of what you have done in the past or shame you feel because of your beliefs and spirituality that other people can't accept and reject. Uh, it's not as bad as it used to be, but, uh, you know, people used to have words for people like you. Holy roller. Anybody know where that phrase came from? Well, the power of God would come on some people and how it would manifest that so they would roll. So to... To mitigate that in the charismatic Pentecostal tradition, what a lot of people did is became more refined, more acceptable. Do you know that the Assemblies of God wasn't accepted into the national organization, evangelical organizations for decades? 
But then one day, we took it as a badge of honor because now we're being accepted by evangelicals. You know what that means? It means what offended them before is now disappearing. The power, the gifts. I've already shared with you this, that when I did research around 1999, 2000, only 14% of those that got baptized at got baptized in water, or those that were saved in the Assemblies of God churches were actually getting baptized in the Holy Ghost. The preeminent Pentecostal church in the world, the one with the greatest missions operation in the history of mankind, only getting 14% of Americans baptized in the Holy Ghost. So much for the roller part. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? I could probably do the research today. I could probably call tomorrow, get the statistics for the past 10 years, and I promise you this, they won't be any better, and they're probably going the other way even further. But it doesn't have to be that way with you. Amen. If it's in the Bible, you can have it. I said if it's in the Bible, you can have it. So number one, you're not going to be ashamed of what you used to be or what you did. And number two, you're not going to be ashamed of who you are spiritually. You're going to celebrate it, not because you're better than anybody else, but because it is real. The inside of you, what God gave you, is real. It's all real, church. The gifts are real. The power of God is real. He wants to use you. But the devil would love for you to stay clamped down because of shame in your past or over your spirituality. In Acts chapter 2, the first thing that happens after those believers get baptized in the Holy Ghost, they hear them proclaiming the glory of God in their own tongue. Some sneered and some made fun of them, saying what? They're drunk. Well, how did Peter reply to that? We're not drunk. It's only what? Nine o'clock in the morning. I'm not sure that means that by two they would have been. I don't know what he's trying to say there, <laughs> We wait until 5 o'clock in the afternoon to get drunk, you stupid people. No, he's saying it's only 9. You're ignorant. Immediately, the spirit of derision and ridicule and making fun showed up. I mean, instantly with Pentecost came what? Ridicule to try to shame people. I don't get that they were ashamed. I do get that 500 people were invited to the party and only 120 showed up. Watch this. If you saw Christ alive, you were invited to the party. But only 120 of them showed up. 380 of them already ashamed of the risen Savior. Think about that. Think about you personally saw him die and saw him alive and you still wouldn't come to church. It doesn't surprise me that people can be afraid of COVID and not come to church for years on end. 380 who saw him alive after dying wouldn't even come to church at his command. In other words, the reality of God is not going to make sure somebody follows him. It's not the only factor. But how I many know that's all we need is to know that he is alive and he's commanded us? And we are not going to be shut down by shame. 1 Corinthians 2.14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spirits to discern. Say, I'm not ashamed of the Holy Ghost. I'm not Say it, I'm not ashamed of tongues. I'm not, I'm not ashamed of the gifts. Can I tell you something? You don't want to be ashamed of tongues, because tongues happens to be one of the choice tools to get this thing flowing in your life. And it's a diabolical, demonic tool of the devil to shut down those who are spirit-filled and not use it. Because what will people think? Well, most of you have been coming here long enough already, they already think that about you. 
Might as well give them some reason to. Give them some evidence. Amen. Second Timothy 1.8, Paul says to Timothy, So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or me, his prisoner. Don't be ashamed of your camp or your leaders. Embrace and perpetuate your spirituality. Don't you dare be ashamed of who you are. Say, I'm a child of God. I'm not ashamed of who I am. Listen, we all know where we were when he found us. We know what he brought us out of. We don't have any time to be ashamed of that. Amen? He did so much already for us. Now what we want to do is share what we have with other people. The power of God is real. Glory to God. Shame is actually a manifestation of fear. And when you unplug from faith and enter into fear, it shuts everything down in your life. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 9, 26, whoever is ashamed of me and my words. See this? The Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of his Father and his holy angels. It's not just being ashamed of him, but ashamed of what he has said. To shrink back from his word because of how other people will view us. That Bible is filled with things that the modern culture does not accept. And their first response when you take a stand is to try to shame you off of that foundation. Amen. You would be amazed at how many Christians have absolutely no problem vacationing with the opposite sex, shacking up with the opposite sex, because this culture says it's perfectly fine to do it. And when you say, here's what the word says, you're intolerant, you're judgmental, blah, blah, blah. When you back off, watch this, when you back off the word, all that is is being ashamed of Jesus and his word. So here's like this. You may not like that I just told you the truth about this particular issue or any other issue, but I'm not going to be ashamed of Jesus just to get you to like me. Amen. And they're out there. I mean, they, the ridiculers are out there in force. A lot of them sit in church. A lot of them have already been influenced by this culture when a pastor just simply reads a passage of Scripture, they absolutely go nuts inside. Why? Because deep down inside, there's a shame there associated with what he has said. But say it with me, I'm not ashamed. I receive it all. So whether it's a word to repent, and how many you know that that was the first message Jesus came preaching? He didn't say, be ye tolerant of everybody and what they're doing. He said what? He said what? Repent. But if you listen to some ministries out there, you would think that the first message is tolerance. No, it's repent. Why wouldn't I go with Jesus' first message? Because of fear and shame. Ridicule being labeled a certain way. Look, it's all designed to cap you and, and shut you down. And if you're ashamed of him and his word in this generation, in this time, we're in danger, you know, of losing not just that power, but losing our very standing. We want to make sure we understand this. We're, we're not to be ashamed of him or his word. What part of this is his word? What part? What part is it? What part? You believe that? Yes. You believe that? Yes. Okay. Do, do you remember um, 
the story of the, the, the Jews going through the wilderness and they got water from a rock. Amen. Manna from heaven. Isn't it interesting? Do you know who was there? Huh? Go to Hebrews for a moment. In chapter 3, about verse 16, who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? Can you believe that? (laughs) Can you believe coming out of that mess and then turn right around and turning on the things of God? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies are in the desert, and to whom did God swear they would never enter his rest, if not those who disobeyed? So we see they were not able to enter because of their what? Because of their what? Because of their what? Because of what? Because of unbelief. Um, The scripture tells us in, in the narrative, in this story, that who was that rock? Christ himself who personally observed his father supplying for them and personally observed the rebellion and the bellyache and everything else. You can't separate him from his word. Say, Jesus and his word are one. So when you find something in his word that your flesh doesn't like, it's still Jesus. Thou shalt not steal is not just a generic command of God. It's what? It's Jesus. Thou shalt not commit adultery is what? It's Jesus. Amen. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Is what? It's Jesus. Thou shalt not lie with a man as you do a woman. Who is that? Oh, that's just some preacher from Kentucky. No, darling. That's the same. Jesus. And you would be amazed how many Christians would not dare stand on the word of God and be ashamed of him because of what the culture thinks. Amen. When he, when he tells you to forgive, who is talking? Jesus. When he tells you to tithe, who's talking? You see how we like to do in church? We're going to pick the Jesus that we want to obey. Pick this Jesus and pick that Jesus, but we're not going to go over here with what this Jesus said. No, there's one Jesus and one word. Say it with me. Jesus and his word are what? Are one. Glory to God. So if you're ashamed of this, you're ashamed of him. Amen. What's that going to do? It's going to prevent you from flowing the way that God wants you to flow. Say it. God and his word are one. Come on, say it in. God and his word are what? Are one. Say it again. God and his word are one. So, you know, Christian picking and choosing... Accepted and rejected? Who are you accepting and rejecting? Amen. And what's really scary is, you know, Dr. Buckley will tell you this, he goes into churches now all over the country and you can't even find a Bible in the midst of them. One church declared that, you know, God's word is not relevant for the church today. 
Listen to how dumb that is. That's almost as dumb as a human being can pick their gender. God picks your gender. Amen? But the Bible is not relevant for the church today. What church are you talking about? You're not talking about the church of Jesus Christ. Because God and his word are what? Are one. If you're ashamed of him, amen, and his words, you're on the wrong side of things. So I can tell. Well, when you read something and you bristle at it and you reject it, you know you got a problem. I love Jesus, but I don't agree with that. Stop. If you love Jesus, disagreeing with Jesus should not be in your mouth. It's I love Jesus and this hurts my flesh, but I agree with it. That's all I practice. Amen. I love Jesus, but sometimes the word hurts my flesh, but I still believe it's the Lord. Does that make sense? And unless you're perfect right now, there are occasions where the word should hurt your flesh. And don't think that it's the preacher. It's the word that is rubbing your flesh the wrong way. Humans don't have the power at that level to hurt your flesh. You think they do, but no, it's the word. So what do we do? We just yield to it. Amen. Shame will separate you from God, his orders and his power. Shame is more concerned about what others think than what God thinks about you. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of human opinion disables. It's time to get delivered from people. You love them, amen, walk in peace with them, but their opinion of you is not your greatest source of inspiration. Amen. I got 500 likes on my comment on Facebook. Well, praise the Lord. 500 anonymous people you never met in your entire life and you care about their opinion. You know what you need from a Facebook post? Just one like. God's. That's the like that you need. And oh, by the way, if God didn't inspire you to put it out there, don't put it out there. Amen. We're in a culture right now where systematic slander and malice is completely accepted and not being held accountable in this country. You can say whatever you want to, and because they hide behind Section 230 as Facebook and Google, and not just that, but all the sites that host web pages, we didn't publish that, so we're not responsible. It's a cop-out. I can tell you this by the Spirit, that's coming to an end in this country. They're going to be held accountable, and if they allow slander on one of their sites, they're going to be responsible financially for what they have done to destroy somebody's reputation. You don't want to be like that. You're called to build up. Come on, say it. Build up or shut up. Amen. You're about to make that post. Does it build up? If not, then I should what? Then I should shut up. There's enough out there that tears down. Psalm 1946 says, I'll speak of your statutes before kings and will not be put to shame. In this room, you're going to stand before people you think that are better than you, more powerful than you, more wealthy than you, amen, more learned than you, and you're going to speak boldly in Jesus' name. The power of God is going to flow in you and through you, and you're not going to be intimidated by titles and stature and what they possess because some of the most, you know, backward people, defeated people, lonely people in this town are people with great titles and means. What they need is an encounter with God. 
They need an encounter with the Spirit of God. And guess what? You have what they need. What do I have that they, you have everything they need. And even people that profess Christianity in this town, that don't, don't accept the things of the Spirit, you have these things. They just weren't there to get you to heaven. Aren't you glad he helps you? They're there to help other people get to heaven and other people enjoy this life and walk in victory. Why is shame so deadly in the heart of the believer? Just kind of jot these down. I'm going to talk to you real quickly about how to get this out of your life once and for all. Come on, say, tonight I'm delivered from shame. My past or my spirituality, I'm not ashamed. Number one, it undermines your confidence in God and his word. You and I are called to be people that are bold. The righteous are bold as what? As lions. But the shame will undermine your confidence. And so instead of getting out there and, and being that influence, you know, I'll let somebody else do it. I'm not worthy. I'm so unworthy. One of the most difficult kinds of people to get baptized in the Holy Ghost is the one that runs around saying, I'm unworthy. You want to just say to him, snore, but he gave it to you anyway. You're not worthy of salvation, but he saved you anyway. You're not worthy of the baptism, but he gave it to you anyway. That's not the point. It's a gift. You just receive it. Number two, it shuts your mouth of faith and boldness. Intimidation will rule over you when shame lives large in your life. Aren't you glad you all are forgiven tonight? You're a new creation. Number three, it attempts to set your agenda. Instead of the Lord leading you and the Spirit of God leading you, it's manipulating you. You've all had that uh, experience where you're just minding your own business and here comes the devil to remind you of something you did or said. Now all of a sudden, instead of being ministry focused, you're now dealing with that same old dog of shame. Number four, it robs you of your joy, your peace and enthusiasm. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Scripture says he is our peace. If anybody should be enthusiastic, it should be a spirit-filled Christian. Amen. Number five, it makes it very difficult to receive from God. Very difficult. Not because he's holding out on us, but because we're not in a position to receive. It makes it very difficult to receive from God. You know, the real sad part, uh, part about that is it's not just us receiving from God, it's us also help, you know, trying to receive on behalf of other people and ministering to them. Number six, it blocks us from hearing the prompts and urgings of the Holy Ghost. This might be the most damaging of all. It blocks us from hearing the prompts and urgings of the Holy Ghost. Uh, you and I are out there, you know, doing our whatever we're doing every day, working or at school or relaxing and all of a sudden, the Spirit of God prompts us to call somebody, write somebody, text somebody, lay hands on somebody. We've got to be in a position to hear. If we can't hear, we're not going to have any way to, to act on that and release what's on the inside of us. So a lot of what uh, the devil does is just keep us bombarded constantly with thoughts and with white noise, and we can't hear what he's saying to us. Amen. Everybody say, thank God for the Holy Ghost. The good news you can hear tonight is he's always talking. How many of y'all have friends that are always talking? Well, he's always talking in a good way. He always has good things to say. Number seven, it hinders you from stepping into your destiny. And this is why the devil is active 
in the, in the shame department. It's amazing somebody that has no future is so infatuated with your past. Some of you should remind him of that sometime. Yeah, devil, I've got a past. It's under the blood. But guess what, devil? Your past is not under the blood. Therefore, your future is not under the blood. Amen? And when he says, no, I don't want to talk to you anymore, you say, wait a minute, I'm not done yet. My name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Yours is not. Amen? My destiny is with God forever. Your destiny is without God forever. But he's, uh, he's very adept at this, and you have to understand this. If he came to you manifested as he is, you wouldn't buy into it. But that's not what happens. Do you remember what you said? Remember what you did? Remember how you handled that? Remember how you hurt so-and-so, what you did? Remember how you broke covenant with that? And on and on and on it goes. Listen, either the blood of Jesus you know, is applied to all of us with the same efficacy and power, or it doesn't work for anybody. All of you are either forgiven or none of you are. You have a pastor, I'm the worst sinner in here. You want to bet on that? You'd be shocked at what some of the people in this room have done. And you feel like you're the worst sinner in the history of mankind. They could be sitting on your row right now. It's really fun if there's only two on your row, amen? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Real good. It's a real good time to move, amen? But you're not ashamed, hallelujah. No shame here. <laughs> right now, some of y'all thinking, who is it? Who is it? He's good at what he does. Now, you need to be better at what you do. Say, I'm not ashamed. So how do you overcome this? Just strictly from the scriptures tonight. Number one, look beyond the shame. That's what Jesus did. In Hebrews 12, 2, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus despised the shame. He looked beyond the pain and difficulty to what he was and what he was to become, where he was headed, not at that moment. And you need to look beyond the shame and the hurt and the failure and the opinions of others to what he has for you. And what he has for you is doing great things for God and being used by God. So you just look past everything that was wrong. Amen? And if somebody didn't like you because of your past, didn't like you because of what you have on the inside of you, what you believe, that's okay. That's, that's entirely up to them. But you look past that in Jesus' name. I look past your rejection. Can I have an amen tonight? You look past their scorn and their disapproval and keep your eyes on what you're supposed to be. He's our example, isn't he? And if he can look beyond the cross and all that he went through, Knowing what's on the other side, you and I can do the same thing. Amen? Scripture says we haven't shed blood yet resisting sin. Amen? Look past it. Number two, stay strong in faith. Scripture says in Hebrews 10, 11, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Say it, never be put to shame. Watch this. When shame goes up, it means your faith level is going down. When you rise in shame, or that's personal behavior or issues or your past or over your spirituality, it's because your faith is low. What do we do when we find ourselves low in faith? 
Build yourself back up again. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Build yourselves up. Jude 20, in your most holy faith. Praying what? Praying in the Holy Ghost. Use the tools you have to build it back up. So if you're walking around in shame, you know, get, get used to self-diagnosing yourself spiritually. You know what your problem is, mister? Your problem is you're manifesting this shame. The devil's on you. It's because your faith level is low. What I need is more time in the Word of God, more time praying in the Holy Ghost. It'll drive that shame out. And if it rears its ugly head, just say to yourself again, you know what? You know, high on shame means low on faith. High on faith means low on shame. That's how it works. It's inversely proportional. Rebuild your faith foundation. Say it with me. Through the word of God and through tongues. Number three, keep your eyes on the Lord. I love this scripture in Psalm 34, 5. Those who look to him are radiant. It means they're reflecting his glory. They're never covered with shame. What am I looking at? I'm looking at his face. Why should I do that? Because his face is of approval for you and for me. I mean, I'll remember the priestly blessing. The Lord bless you and what? And keep you. Lord what? Make his face to shine upon what? You. You keep your eyes on the Lord. Some of you are looking at other people's faces. And their scrunched up noses and their rolling eyes. And their disapproval and their condescension. No, you need to be keeping your eyes on the Lord. Those that do that are radiant. They reflect his glory. In other words, you should be concerned about one person's face. The fact that his face is turned towards us is remarkable. Do you know that, uh, you know, in the natural, you, you could not survive that. It actually welcomes us. He wants us not just to look at his power at his hand, what he can do, but look into his face. And what do you see? Not disapproval. You see acceptance. You see love. You see generosity. You see real compassion and concern for you. The idea that he has a great plan and purpose for your life. Some of y'all need to get your eyes off of the faces of other people. Some of y'all need to get your eyes off your own face. Amen. Glory to God. Only be concerned about his opinion of you. What is his face saying to you? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and you what? And give you peace. It seems to me the problem is not about everybody else, but what are we looking at? What are we looking at? What are we focused on? Whose opinion is most important to us? Number four, remember the power of the gospel. Remember the power of the gospel. Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Come on, shout it out. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. Unto salvation to them that believe, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Romans 1.16 you and I cannot manifest what we're ashamed of. You can, you can tell what a choke point might be in your believing when you get ashamed of it. Amen. You one of those healing people? Yeah. You one of those Holy Ghost people? Yeah. You one of them prosperity people? Yeah. You one of those God can deliver you from anything people? Yeah. 
You're one of those, you know, I'm the head not the tail, above only not beneath people. Yeah, but all of a sudden you might get into something where you feel a little shame coming on you and whatever you're ashamed of, you won't manifest. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Say, I'm not ashamed, I'm not ashamed. of the gospel. Not to be associated with it, not to proclaim it, not to expect it, not to walk in it, not to see it happen. We're just not people of shame. But a lot of people are. Come on, say it with me. I can't have what I'm ashamed of. Amen. I run into secret agent prosperity Christians all the time. They work 70, 80 hours a week, but publicly they're opposed to it. What do you call somebody who's publicly opposed to something but lives their life in the pursuit of it? A hypocrite. Why would someone do something like that? Shame. They do not want to be shamed by other people. The, uh, the clock is too late, church. We're in the last sliver of time. We can't afford to be ashamed anymore of the promises of God the principles of God. We have to be bold to stand up and not care what other people think. Amen. And uh, now think about this, you know, whether it's children or youth or, or college students, uh, God help us if we're instilling shame in them over the promises of God. T.L. Osborne said to Brother Copeland one time, he said, you know what, uh, you were born free. You weren't exposed to all this religious nonsense. Now stay free. Don't let it get in you. Amen. And, uh, you know, it's very important that you make up your mind that if I find in the word of God, I'm not going to be ashamed of it. The promises of God are yes. And they're amen. Come on, say it boldly. They're yes. yes. And they're amen. amen. I'm not ashamed. The power is in the gospel. If you reject the gospel, then the power can't manifest. We can't operate in power and shame at the same time. You can have one or the other. Amen. I don't know what your natural choke point might be, but just simply say to yourself, if it's in the word, I'm going to have it in Jesus' name. We had you confess John Osteen's confession over the word of God, not because we're religious about it, but because of the power in it. We really are what the Bible says we are. We can do what the Bible says we can do. We can have what the Bible says we can have. Unless shame comes. Amen. Years ago, Christians wouldn't even say that they were righteous, and some still don't. Because shame says you're saying you're perfect. That's not what you're saying at all. You're saying you're right with God. He did that. See that? Shame is real, real... Real subtle in your life. Don't let it in because it will rob you of all the good things that God has for you. Amen. Remember the power of the gospel. Number five, walk in the word always. No matter what influence comes your way, walk in the word. Psalm 119, A, you may my heart be blameless toward your decrees that I may not be put to shame. What happens when you're walking in the word consistently? There's no room for shame. Amen. Not giving the devil a foothold in your life. The key to staying out of shame is to be a doer of the word. Say it, I'm a doer, not a doubter. I'm a doer, not a hearer only. Say it, I am a doer. Walking in the word. You know what happens? Great confidence comes from walking in the word of God. Amen. 
Glory to God. Listen to the scripture in Isaiah 54, 4 as we close tonight. Do not be afraid, you will not suffer shame. Do not fear disgrace, you will not be humiliated. Amen. How many of y'all believe God's going to back you up? I said, how many believe God's going to back you up? I love the end time promise of freedom from shame that Joel gives you. Joel 2, 26 and 27, you will have plenty to eat until you are full. And you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Can you claim that for yourself tonight? Never again will I be shamed. And you'll know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, that there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. Twice in that same verse. How many know God means business? And we know times and seasons where they were, of course, shamed. Those days are over. They're over for Israel, but they're also over for you. I get a tickle when I hear you know, a world, religious, or world leader talk about Israel as if they're talking down to Israel and bless their darling hearts how crazy and stupid they are and they don't know better or whatever. And I just kind of laugh because I say, you know what, you don't have a clue what you're talking about. Those people have a covenant with Almighty God. And you're not going to take them out of their land. You're not going to supplant them from the promises of God. They're not going to be filled with shame. Amen. Anybody know what the stats of Israel are, for example, right now on COVID? I'll just leave that with you. The miracles and the technology and the wisdom God has given that nation when anything comes down the road at them. You know what you call that? You call that the blessing. Amen. Uh, this nation could use more blessing and less cursing. Are you here tonight? Standing on what the Word of God says. Using your authority, your mouth, who you are, being that speaking spirit, speaking life into the situation. Amen. We don't pretend. We're faith people, so we attack. Amen. There are lots of things arrayed against the body of Christ, but no weapon formed against you will what? Will what? Yes. Amen. Glory to God. Come on, just take some time right now and just bless him and praise him. Thank him. You're delivered from shame in Jesus' name. You're set free from shame of the past, shame over your spirituality. You're able to be free tonight in him and enjoy who you are. The head, not the tail, above only and not beneath. Glory to God. Thank you, my Father. We worship you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your goodness tonight. Thank you, my Father. Blessing and honor and praise are yours, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Come on now, shout it out. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to them that believe. I'm a believer. I'm not ashamed of the word. I'm not ashamed of the Lord. I'm not ashamed of the Holy Ghost. I'm not ashamed of his gifts. I'm not ashamed of the promises of God. I'm not ashamed to be used by him. I'm not ashamed in Jesus' name. Amen.
I shared uh, last week a story about we were playing softball uh, years ago, and we had a softball club. Uh, even the Holy Ghost couldn't help us. That's how bad we were. Uh, but just to point this out to you, when one of our players crossed the first you know, baseline there, he just collapsed and fell right there on his face. And uh, some uh, previous condition that wasn't diagnosed at that time. And what I saw was uh, a wife and fellow team and people coming out of the bleachers from this church gathered around him, and they weren't ashamed to pray the prayer of faith. They weren't ashamed to lay hands on him, and they weren't ashamed to pray in the Holy Ghost. Are you here tonight? The other team that was not of our like precious faith backed up as fast as they could. I mean, they, I mean, they just fled like cockroaches when you turn a light on. Because there was nothing but confusion and shame. You understand what I'm saying to you? Uh, we can't be that way. Um, one of the things that uh, I really uh, appreciated about uh, you know, the episode that was here, and many of you were here the night that David slumped over and, and died, and the uh, right combination of people of faith and, and health professionals were in the building, and Glory to God. Amen. Our God. Everybody say, our God. Our God. But uh, one of the things I so appreciate about Dr. Milo is she was not ashamed to get on camera and say publicly how important the gift of the Holy Ghost is and praying in tongues is. You would not believe how many people in the professional world wouldn't dare align themselves with a spirit-filled church. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? And that is chronic. People will pick churches based on their shame level. But if you go back to Genesis, go back now to Genesis, but go back to Acts, guess what? The whole church was filled with tongue talkers. Shame has prevented the progress in this country. And don't shout me down when I'm preaching so good tonight. <laughs> don't let the devil rob you of anything God has for you. I don't care what your background is. Amen. We could take a poll tonight. We have Lutherans and Methodists. Amen. Heathens and whatever. Everybody gets saved. They get baptized in the Holy Ghost. That's God's will. The Holy Spirit is what? It's God's will for you. But... Uh, to, to publicly know what you are and not be ashamed of it? Amen. Amen. Say, I'm a child of God, and I'm not ashamed of it. Um, it's, it's happening. Glory to God. Can I tell you the flip side of people knowing how, what, you know, where you stand and what you are? Is when there's a need, they'll feel comfortable coming to you. They'll recognize what's flowing on the inside of you, and they'll want that. Amen. In the meantime, guess what? Your eyes is going to be on the face of God, not on people's face of approval or disapproval. Because if everybody disapproved of you, you still have the Lord who approves of you. And more than that, has commissioned you. Amen. You're commissioned. You're part of the miracle capital of the world. You're wells of life. Say, I'm the well. Say, this, this well is being uncapped. In Jesus' name.
Amen. And now you'll have some self-consciousness moments. And what you're going to do when you feel self-conscious, you're going to say, I bind that in Jesus' name. No shame. I'm just going to live this life out. Glory to God. Publicly, boldly for the glory of God. Because that's who you are. Amen. Aren't you glad God's given you this assignment? Amen. There are other people of like precious faith all over the country that, is, that they're accepting the assignment as well. It's going to be interesting to see what God does through all of you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's give him a big hand clap and let's thank him.